0: Hello, Marvelites, you are listening to Marvel's Pull List, and I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M.
1: And I'm Tucker Marcus.
0: Previously on Marvel's Pull List, we were talking about Secret Invasion, and now we are talking about Dark Reign. And, Teeny, you had chosen us to talk about Dark Reign. Tell us what Dark Reign is, then, and why we should be talking about it.
2: Okay, so... I love Dark Rain because it is the fallout of Secret Invasion. After which, Norman Osborne, spoilers, if you're joining us and didn't listen to the last episode, and you're just a big Dark Rain <laughs> fan, welcome. Uh, But at the end of Secret Invasion, it is Norman Osborn who gets the kill shot on the Skrull Queen. And so he gets to take a turn in the spotlight as a hero. And because so many of the Avengers teams have been uh, disbanded or um, compromised in various ways, and S.H.I.E.L.D. has been decommissioned and Tony Stark has been uh, humiliated, more or less. And that's kind of what Norman Osborn is going after, like a pit bull. So uh, he kind of decides he wants his own team of Avengers made up of people that he can trust um but we as the reader watch him pick very nasty thunderbolt type people <laughs> <laughs> so the fun one of the big gets of dark green is the fun of dark avengers which is watching norman osborne lead a team of thunderbolts in avengers costumes
0: <laughs> it's so crazy it might just work we we didn't give credit to uh, the creative team at the top of this, so let's make sure we do that. Dark Avengers written by Brian Michael Bendis, art by Mike Diadato, colors by Rain Barredo, uh, letters by VCs Corey Pettit and Chris Eliopoulos, and covers by Mike Diodato and Rain Barredo. Tom, you were you, you were obviously there for all what you know oversaw this stuff. Um, I would love to now pick your brain a little bit about the behind the scenes parts of this, specifically of creation of a dark avengers team and a book and at what point these plans for dark rain and dark avengers had formed
3: uh well this is a uh, that's a much more complicated question i think then you realize that it is um so so uh let us start by casting our minds back to civil war um one of the things that came out of civil war was that for, I think it was for a year, uh, Warren Ellis and Mike Diodato did Thunderbolts. uh, And they pretty much swept the decks of most of the the existing Thunderbolts characters. They kept Moonstone and they kept Songbird. um, But they were replaced by what I can only describe as the Mark Miller team of Thunderbolts. (laughs) Uh, partly because this was something that got discussed when we were doing Civil War, which was to say all of the big villains, so Bullseye and Venom and Norman and so forth. These guys are now the, the Thunderbolts, and they're they're uh, a sanctioned team of of uh, bad guys that are going out to hunt down uh, unregistered superheroes in the most you know brutal and vicious and nasty Warren Ellis-y kind of way that you can, you can have. Um, I'm not revealing any state secrets by telling you that Brian Bendis is a huge fan of Warren Ellis and his work, uh, and he was a big fan of that series in particular. Uh, and one of the things he said about it, you know, he and Diodato had worked together uh, on an arc of New Avengers, uh, and that was an arc that, uh, as we talked about in the Civil War episode, was originally supposed to be drawn by Steve McNiven and wasn't, that Steve got pulled in to do Civil War instead. Uh, and one of the things that, that, that Brian has said uh, is in reading Thunderbolts and in watching Warren and Dio, uh, you know, put those issues out, uh, he said, you know, I fig- you know that, that taught me, that, that, that showed me, I figured out how to write a book for, for Dio. Uh, And then, you know, over the next 10 years, he'd end up doing a ton of work with with Mike, uh, of of which Dark Avengers was the first. So all of these pieces were in play. Um, As we headed into Secret Invasion, Warren's tenure on uh, uh, Thunderbolts was ending. It was wrapping up. uh, And in fact, the Thunderbolts tie-ins were done by, I'm going to say, I think it was Christos Gage. There were like four issues of of Thunderbolts Secret Invasion tie-ins. Um, so one of the things that that meant was that that setup was going to be shaken up a little bit because, frankly, uh, if you're not Warren Ellis, uh, nobody's going to let you have all those big villains and not have them be in the individual books. Um, so that's going to that's gonna be a thing. Um, so at a, a certain point in realizing all of this was going on, Brian hit on the ideas that became, you know, Norman taking the kill shot at the end uh, and becoming, uh, uh, you know, the the leader of Shield or Hammer, uh, and the leader of of uh, the Avengers, and doing Dark Avengers as kind of the next iteration. You know, we had talked about in very again in very casual, broad terms when we made Tony the head of Shield and the the repository of all of the registration information at the end of of Civil War. That clearly the next thing that has to happen is. Here's here it is, and you've given all that information to the guy that's trustworthy with it and isn't going to do anything bad with it. So the next thing that obviously has to happen is you have to put it in the hands of somebody who is going to do bad things with it, and that's going to be Norman. So, you know, it was always sort of an idea that was in the ether from that point on, and Brian grabbed it, grabbed at it for the ending of of Secret Invasion. So he pretty much said, coming out of Secret Invasion. Um, You know, we'll we'll pivot the entire Marvel Universe. And rather than Tony Stark being the Nick Fury top cop, we'll put Norman Osborn into that position. And the way Brian described it was that will make, in essence, every character is going to learn what it's like to be Spider-Man. They're all going to be kind of outlaws and distrusted. They're all going to be hunted by the authorities. They're all going to be underdogs and that's going to be great for all of them because they're going to have to really dig down and strive and overcome uh, and, and, uh, and so forth. Um, so all of these pieces went into building uh, the end of Secret Invasion and then what became Dark Avengers. Um, a good chunk, I think at least 50%, if not more, of the Dark Avengers team is pretty much Warren's Thunderbolt's team just kind of carried over. Uh, and then filled out with other, other characters that either Brian liked and had an interest in or was using already, like the Sentry, who we'd had in Mighty Avengers, um, or that people in conversation suggested that he, he play with. Um, people were very invested in, in Ares. Ares had also been in Mighty Avengers, and there was a lot of talk about you know, what you could do with Ares. And so you kind of end up with this, this group that's, you know, apart Warren Ellis Thunderbolts, a part of uh, 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 Brian's and, you know, Frank Cho and then Bagley and then all all the guys that came after his Mighty Avengers and a part, you know, a few new pieces, uh, you know, thrown in for zest. Um, And and that was a thing. And the thing I remember about this conversation the most, and I don't mean to call him out about this, uh, hopefully I've given him enough credit in previous episodes that he will not uh, uh, feel me too bad about this, uh, but Jeff Loeb thought this was the stupidest idea he'd ever heard. <laughs> he he and, and he was merciless. Uh, he was an attack dog in that meeting. He was like nobody's going to read this. Who who's going to follow this book? There's no characters in it. Anybody cares about? How do I relate to any of these guys? This is going to be a disaster. But the thing that he did, you know, and uh, Bryant is not a wallflower when it comes to talking story or to defending his position or his thoughts in a in a conversation like this Um, but I think walking out of that conversation I think Brian was really motivated by this to go oh I'm gonna I'm gonna show you I'm gonna make this work uh, and I'm gonna make you eat your words um and in fact you know for the whole run for those 16 issues Dark Avengers was the best-selling book we put out um so 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 whether it was uh, you know, just, you know, motivated by just, you know, his skill and talent. Clearly, Brian had, you know, a story there that he believed in and wanted to do. He had figured out how to how to work effectively and, and get the most out of Mike Diodato um, and whether or not he was, you know, motivated by this moment of of, uh, uh, you know, discord or or what, uh, you know, it it definitely proved out, um, you know, usually most of the time, 98, 99 percent of the time, uh, Jeff Loeb's commercial instincts are spot on. I want to say that, uh, and this is the one rare time that he was he was completely uh, uh, wrong, as it turned out. Um, so, so that's my big my big creating Dark Rain memory. Um, and as as soon as as soon as Dark Rain started to get talked about, it kind of eclipsed Secret Invasion. Um, you know that people were more interested. Even I think Brian. Uh, Brian has has talked about this and done this because he's done a number of these uh, events House of M and Siege eventually and uh, you know he was part of AVX and Civil War II and so forth Um, you know and and one of the things that he learned from House of M and from Civil War is that uh, you know one of the things that really impacts on how an event story is remembered is the lasting footprint that it leaves on the Marvel Universe, how it changes the landscape going forward, and what can come out of it that, that can really generate new and different stories uh, afterwards than the ones you were reading about before. Uh, and this was really the first place, I think, where he really put this into, into practice. Uh, you know, after having kind of discovered it in House of M, where he did No More Mutants and then saw, like, that was a big thing, and everybody remembered and talked about that and thought about that, and Wolverine got all of his memories back, and that was a thing. But all of that was mostly happening in X-Books that he wasn't involved in. So it was happening over there, but he could see, like, that worked, and he could see how the aftermath of Civil War really popped everything, and so here was an opportunity to come out of Secret Invasion with a cool new setup and status quo, Uh, And and a new book um, that would directly impact on the stories he was going to tell and on new Avengers as well, because they immediately, uh, you know, become uh, even more so than they had been, uh, you know, after after Civil War, after Civil War, theoretically, they're the underground outlaw, you know, secret Avengers team, but ultimately, while they had a dust up or two with Iron Man and his crew everybody here is good guys. You know, we, we there, there are stakes, but the stakes are relatively low. Nobody, nobody on that side is going to deliberately kill anybody. Um, but now it's, it's a much different landscape. And he was really excited about the idea that I'm going to make these guys all Spider-Man. I'm going to, I'm going to put them against the ropes and and, and push them till I break them as much as I can. Well, hot damn.
2: Well, and it, it, it's really interesting to hear that because, uh, you know it, 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 the timing of of like Dark Avengers works so well because like I mean obviously the biggest thing is that Cap is dead and Tony is disgraced, um so you don't really have either of them to stand up and contend with it. But the, the thing I always loved about it was that it's like it's the bad guys get a turn, but it's like it comes out of the the quote unquote the good guys winning, right? Like Norman Osborn shooting the Skrull Queen is you know a good ending. We want the heroes and villains to work together to defeat the exterior force, Uh, so we got what we wanted, right? The good guys won, and then we get this dark era out of it. (laughs) Um, And it feels perfectly timed, because, like, Cap is dead at the time. Tony is disgraced by, uh, you know, having S.H.I.E.L.D. disbanded and all that. Like, it just feels like the ground is so fertile that it feels, every bit of it feels, like, super um, deliberate. But also, I totally understand having You know been in those rooms now and like you know working on uh ten of swords with like the whole x room uh how many things uh, happen like that where you're you're standing you're sitting in the room together and you're talking and you're you're all talking through the story together and someone says oh yeah you need a beat here well obviously this beat from this other place earlier fulfills that and it fits in place so perfectly that it feels like you planned it the whole time um you know, a big part of it is just you know when you the, and this is another thing is the more comics I write and the more comics I write that you know are like ongoing things, caliber things that reach out and you know event books, things that touch the larger Marvel Marvel universe as a whole. The more I realize like the value of leaving yourself those like unresolved breadcrumb beats in the heart of a character for you to go back to and 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 you you really like write yourself future checks in the best way um where you know so that's really cool to hear that that was kind of the like it was a both a combination of pieces that had been just there waiting for their moment and also just you know the the genuine luck of of storytelling sometimes that happens you know i think uh on one hand i think some people would like to believe that everything we come up with is is like deeply regimented but Um, because you know we're superhero fans we like to look at the back of our x-men card and see whose power level is highest like we like a definitive answer for that kind of thing but like truthfully so much about what we do is not definitive so much about what we do is a bunch of creative people sitting in a room just bouncing what feels right and what sometimes sometimes we work backwards and we say well this character needs to narratively lose because they need to be challenged. And maybe we don't know how that happens yet. And we have to work together to figure out what that loss is, right? Exactly who is the most narratively satisfying bad guy to give them that loss or situation or whatever. Um, but so much of it is is that kind of soft um, brainstorming about, about satisfaction narratively. You know, I mean, I, I don't wanna get like too far into the weeds, but you know, arguably, we as humans like stories. We like them to feel and fit a certain way, and so sometimes we intuitively know that, even when we're not looking at the wiki of someone's past appearances, um, we know. You know, well, I've been writing them for a year, and they've had so many losses. I need to give them a win, um, and I need to have them have a moment to triumph here. And can I find that moment in your story with you, other writer? And it just, it all, it all comes together. Um, And sometimes, yeah, I definitely, like, look at stuff and I'm like, wow, looks like I planned that. (laughs) (laughs) When uh, sometimes you didn't, but it's like you couldn't have planned it. It's not like you didn't plan it because it was a lack of work on your part. It's just sometimes you you can't plan that stuff. Like, you can only do so much, I think, um, outlining and forecasting. But sometimes when you're into the scripting and the story making of it, you just you know script what happens or you send a text to one of your other writers or your editor and you shoot up an email and you say hey I know I said this in the outline but I think we got to change it because the muses are speaking to me (laughs) (laughs) um and it's a it's a really cool part of it so hearing hearing that one of my favorite eras came out of that same kind of feeling is super satisfying as a writer
0: yeah it's and I love hearing all this, both from your perspective, Tini, and, and from Tom's, like, you know, seeing it from the room. One of the things that I was thinking about as we started figuring out to do this episode is that, Tom, you know, we've talked about Civil War, we've talked about Secret Invasion, and those are event books, and we've, we've talked about the tie-ins and the the, the thing around them, but Dark Reign is is different. It's not a, there's not a single event title. From, from your perspective, is that, something different do you look at it in a different way or is it just you know business as usual we're pre- we're making comics we're making stories here's where we're going
3: this is i mean the difference is you know secret avengers is you know what these days we call an event or an event series uh like like house of m was like civil war was dark rain is not dark rain is a post event landscape uh, and so it is not a story it is a situation here's what the world is 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 like now and the characters have to operate within these new rules or within this new paradigm um you know there was a book and that book was dark avengers that was clearly perceived and seen as that's the that's the spine or the flagship of this particular era because that's the book that norman was was leading up uh you know and while he was showing up in literally every comic in the line pretty much uh, you know that's the one in which his story and the story of his people were really being told, and so that was the book that was really, uh, you know, at the at the vanguard and was the flagship during this this period. But really, uh, you know, it was it's a setup. It's no different than after Civil War, Tony Stark is is director of Shield, and that means since Shield is in half the books in the line, half the time you're going to have Tony Stark there going, hey. Got a S.H.I.E.L.D. mission. Need you to do this S.H.I.E.L.D. mission. Or need you to not get involved in this because S.H.I.E.L.D. is going to take care of it. Or or whatever thing happened to, to, to be the status quo. Um, and the same sort of thing is true uh, with Dark Reign, just with Norman, who was a, a more nefarious character, obviously. Um, and depending on which uh, you know which book you, you, you read him in, was, for lack of a better term, more cartoonish or not. Um, You know, one of the things that I think Brian did really well, and I don't think uh, Brian, uh, you know, Brian wrote Avengers for a a, a solid decade. He did a a, 10 years plus on on the series. Uh, And I don't think he's got a better year than the year, year, year and a half when he was doing Dark Avengers and and New Avengers. Uh, You know, I think there are really good issues all, all around this. I think there's good stuff, you know, all the way to the end on either thing. But I think he was really, you know, at at, at the best of his game during this period. Uh, And and part of that is, and it's a very simple thing. It sounds so deceptively easy when I describe it, um, and yet most people can't do it uh, and don't do it. And certainly even, uh, you know, Warren, who came before him, didn't approach the character this way. He, Brian, wrote Norman Osborn sympathetically. Uh, And nobody, nobody else pretty much does that or has done that, had done it before him, really, or has done it since. They write him as 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 a a, a nutcase. They write him as a mustache twirler. They write him as a villain or sadistic or evil or awful or, you know, pick your pick your Machiavellian or crafty or sinister or whatever. Uh, And Brian writes him with nuance. Brian writes him with sides and with angles and that's part of the reason why you can sympathize with him and connect with him even though you know it's only a matter of time as Teeny was saying at the top before that other shoe drops and before everything falls apart because for the most of this run you know he's a guy that's supposed to be taking his meds and is he taking his meds or is he not taking his meds and if he doesn't take his meds what's going to happen uh and that's that's kind of the ambiance of the character. But there's also a a, a, you know, a tragedy towards to it, too. This is a guy that's not really in his right mind. It's not really, you know, how much of this is his fault based on the choices he's making? And how much of this is the fault of he's got weird, screwed up brain chemistry from all the stuff he's exposed himself to, including goblin formula? And, and you know, is he as, as much a victim of, of the goblin as anybody else? Uh, and all of that is kind of in the gestalt of that character when, when Brian writes him, you know, when he does the scene where he goes to, to Bob Reynolds to to coax him out of the, the watchtower and to bring him onto the team and, you know, talks with them and orders him the five guys burger and which was a blatant attempt by Brian to get five guys to cater our next yep. retreat. And it did not, it did not work. Sadly, the guys were smarter than we were Um but, uh, you know, that that whole scene works completely because everything that Norman is saying as he talks to the sentry applies to himself and his own situation just as much as it applies to Bob Reynolds, and so it's sympathetic and empathetic and you can connect, uh, even though this is Norman Osborne and, and he's a creep and a lowlife. So,
2: I'm sorry about that scene, and then... Then I have uh, a take that I want to present to the class. Um, So (laughs) my story about that scene is just that, so because of that scene for like years now, whenever my husband and I make jokes about Norman Osborn, we're always like, you want to go to Five Guys Burgers and Fries? Because like, we always thought that was a great moment. So we, I am from Northern Virginia. um, And the first Five Guys is in Woodbridge, Virginia. It's like the very first one. Yep. Uh, and so five guys has always been something I've grown up with, but the five guys in Woodbridge and the ones in Virginia don't have milkshakes. So I remember reading that and being really, because he offers him a milkshake specifically. And I remember being like, that's Brian. Have you ever been to five guys? They don't serve milkshakes. <laughs> And being so upset about this. So I've thought about this for years. And I remember maybe like two years ago, like walking around New York, I was there for like a Marvel thing. And I'm like walking around with Matt Rosenberg and I bring that up to him and he goes, oh, cause he's a milkshake expert. And he goes, oh yeah, the ones in New York serve milkshakes.
1: <laughs> and I was
2: like, I've been mad for 10 years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I've been mad for 10 years. And he was just like, oh yeah, no, the ones in New York do, you know, they're in New York. And I was like, oh, well, it, it, it felt like because I knew the original Five Guys that certainly it would serve everything Five Guys offers. But no, we have the broken ones that don't get milkshakes. So I would have turned into the void because my Five Guys doesn't have milkshakes and never have.
3: I want to uh, digress for one second for a very quick Five Guys story. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the first time uh, anybody at Marvel had Five Guys was uh, myself, C.B. Sobalski, and I think it was Dan, Dan Slott. Uh, we all went down to the Baltimore Comic Convention around, I don't know, 2004, something like that. Um, we drove down Friday night, so we did work. Uh, you know, I got in my car, we drove to Baltimore, we got into Baltimore at around 8 o'clock or whatever, got, got our hotel rooms all, all situated and we're hungry, and we're like looking for some place to eat, uh, and we had the yellow pages there, and we opened it up, and there was a listing for Five Guys Burgers and Fries, and we thought, oh, that sounds good. So, so CB gave them a call to make a reservation, <laughs> 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 and they said, no, no, we don't take reservations. You just come down, and <laughs> um, because the chain had not gotten up to New York by that point, we'd never heard of the place. Um, uh, I didn't realize what kind of a, of a, of a, of a an organization it was. Uh, and so we, you know, we went out that night and went down to the, the South Street Seaport to the five guys. And, uh, you know, e- ever since then, like that's been the thing, whenever anybody brings up five guys is we have to go, yeah, CB, you better, you better call for a reservation. Better make us a reserve. We better make a reservation for this. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, So anybody who's listening who is an employee of Five Guys or works with uh, them, please, uh, if you'd like to sponsor Marvel's Pull List, please reach out to me, (laughs) at Agent M on Twitter.
2: Uh, Tom, did that Five Guys have milkshakes? Do you remember?
3: It did not. Um, (laughs) Some some of them did. Brian was not wrong, but most of them did not.
2: (laughs) This was really healing for me to have this conversation <laughs> because I always feel like a crazy person because like for 10 years, my husband, anytime and someone brings up the Green Goblin in any capacity, I got to look at my husband and be like, Five Guys doesn't serve milkshakes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and now you know. Was that your take? Was, was the milkshake no, thing
2: no, your take? I, okay. I have an intelligent take. That's not okay. about uh, Five Guys. <laughs> so, Tom, I found what you were saying really interesting about Brian writing Norman uh, synthetically. I totally agree, that whole conversation with the century. And it made me realize, I think the flip side of that is the way Matt Fraction writes him in Invincible Iron Man, where during World's Most Wanted and Stark Disassembled, it's basically the story of Norman going after Tony Stark to get the the registration list out of his head. Uh, And Tony's response to this is to do this kind of like flowers for Algernon thing where he starts like, regressing himself to earlier and earlier backups of his brain so he is yep. losing a lot of his intelligence and his ability to use his higher tech armors there's this great scene where he has to go or there's this great story arc where he has to go all the way to get the the mark one um, because it's the only one he could use there's so many good scenes where it's like pepper is talking to him and she's like i'm the smart one now like i've always been smart but like you're like really having a heart. like it's great. It's, it's like heartbreaking because it's like the one thing Tony believes in himself about and he has to lose it for the good of the world, right? Beautiful storytelling. Um, the take though is that the way that Norman talks to Tony is so villainous. And it's kind of really interesting as a mirror to how Norman talks to, to, uh, to Bob Reynolds, to, to the century. You know, it's that thing of like, he, he's talking to himself and he's saying the things that he hopes are right about himself, that like, you can be a good guy and you can do this. And then the kind of the flip side of it is him and Tony kind of like obviously Tony Stark sees Norman Osborne in a lot of ways as like the during that arc of like well, this is what you could be right like like sure. Tony, you could have you could have been this guy like you could have uh you know not felt any shame over the registration stuff and like lean in, leaned into it and made yourself the hero and and now this guy's wearing your armor around um yeah there's a- st- there's a story about that too i'll I'll remind me to go back to that. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's basically the the take is that, you know, I love, I love that uh, fraction and Salaraka's Minimal Iron Man. It's one of my favorite books of all time. And I, I love, I, that's a really good point is that the way Norman talks to the century is how he's talking to himself, you know, in a hopeful way. And I think that the, I think you're totally right that like, Matt Fraction writes Norman a lot less sympathetically because he's the outright villain in Tony's book, but he still comes off as sympathetic because Tony views himself as such a villain. And so much of that whole invincible Iron Man arc is just the gut punch again and again of Tony Stark being like, I swear to God, I'm a good person um, over and over and over again and giving up everything for it uh, the whole time being literally pursued across the world by Norman Osborn, who is like, I just can't wait to dance on your grave. <laughs> He's also talking to himself, you know? So it's, it's good stuff. But I want to hear Tom's story
3: now. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the Iron Patriot has kind of a, a, a labyrinthian uh, a creation behind it as well. Um, and some people know this. And like so many things, this goes back to Civil War. Um, <laughs> and there was a certain point at which... Like Once we'd made the decision to, uh, to kill Captain America at, at the end of that, um, and, and once uh, there were delays and so forth, um, there were also some leaks that started to sprout up about things that were going to be happening at the end of the story. I don't remember in, in those days if that was bleeding cool or if it was lying in the gutters or if it was whatever, um, but some stuff started to leak out Uh, And we were concerned about keeping the ending uh, a secret. So one of the things that we wound up doing is we took this piece of art that we already had, that was an Iron Man piece, uh, and we colored it in red, white, and blue colors. And uh, because we, what it was, was we had to solicit the the collection for Civil War uh, before the last books came out, Um, and we gave that piece of art. I think it was to Amazon. (laughs) <laughs> with the solicitation for that book. Uh, so everybody, you know, saw that, and I don't remember if you know lying in the lying in the cool uh picked it up or who picked it up, but it was one of those look at this thing that we found over, over here. This clearly means that like you know, Iron Man's gonna win and he's gonna become Captain America or Captain America's gonna win or and he's gonna become Iron Man, and that a- at least created some chaff in the air. So that nobody quite knew how things were gonna end up. So, you know, mission accomplished, civil war ends, but now we've got this suit, and it's not much of a suit, it literally is it's a piece of Iron Man art that we just colored differently. But it's it's a thing that a lot of people have read these stories. And at some point in these conversations, Dan Buckley goes, We gotta do something with that, because it's you know, everybody paid attention to it. There's such an awareness of it. Of course, you have to. Um, and so, Brian, you know, when when hatching all these plans, immediately, oh, I'll put, I'll put Norman in 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 that, uh, and and specifically, uh, you know, he was he was thinking about or he was inspired by that uh, famous photo uh, from the the post Afghan war of of George Bush sitting in the. F1 cockpit with the, with the helmet and so forth, you know, we'll sort of dress Norman up in these patriotic colors and we'll make him a real American hero and, 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 and and parade him out in front of the world. And that's, that's where uh, Norman becoming the Iron Patriot and not being just Norman or just being the, the, the green goblin or the, 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 you know, the happy goblin or whatever, um, you know, grew out of it. We had this piece And again, Brian took it and went, I can put it here and connect it with these other pieces and and make something pretty cool out of it. That's wild to me. (laughs) Yep. And now it's in movies.
2: (laughs) Well, it's great because it feels like a perfect thing for Norman himself to choose to do, right? Because obviously we as readers and fans respond to it because we're like, whoa, that's wild and different and we've never seen it before. But in World, it comes off as this really just like, gross misunderstand it just it's like i mean it's like uh when you hear i remember stories from like i i've heard this before i don't know if it's a a real story or not but i've heard that like there was a shopping mall in the 80s in japan that uh wanted to celebrate christmas but kind of misunderstood some of the meanings and so crucified a santa claus Um, (laughs) and i don't know if that's true or not but it's like very much the idea of norman Getting Tony's armor and then painting it with a dead guy's colors and wearing it around like he's a hero, it's such a great choice for Norman to make as a totally disgusting person who is misunderstanding entirely what it means to be a hero and what these symbols mean to people. Um the fact that it came out of the like reality of making comics is awesome. (laughs) (laughs) And that, that happens so often, right? Like you post a random variant cover. Like, I mean, there are so many things that have come out of like a variant cover piece of art. But we're yeah. like that's amazing, Gwenpool. Like <laughs> um, that origin story is such a part of comics that I love that uh, because yeah, it, it it it's so cool and it's it's such a perfect choice for Norman to make. Like without any of that story, it still makes perfect sense yeah. that he would be like, well, I'll be the Captain America and the Iron Man, and I'll show that by just eating Iron Man stuff with Captain America's colors. Whereas <laughs> you know, it's it's like dressing up in their corpses to anyone else. <laughs> It it also
3: immediately, uh, you know, one of the things that it did is it immediately stopped him from being just a Spider Man villain, and and made him, you know, like an, an Avengers villain or a Marvel Universe villain, much more specifically, you know. So 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 that too was, uh, you know, it was I wasn't the intention necessarily, but it was it was part and parcel of that whole thing. Like he's 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 grown beyond just being a, a Spidey villain in this story. He's, he's everybody's villain in the Marvel Universe now.
1: As everyone is talking about all this stuff, Tom, I had a, a non-sequitur question come to mind. And given that we're talking about the behind-the-scenes kind of processes of like the making of all of these things, and um, I, I would you know certainly infer and probably imagine even more than that how difficult it is for someone so intertwined in these things to divorce the making of the thing from the thing itself. But that being said and i'm only asking this because one i don't know when the next time we're gonna have you on the show is gonna be just because we haven't planned out that far but two um what are you trying, what like- are you trying
3: to tell me tucker <laughs> i don't know i don't know that that's 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 that just seems rude i, I think i'm leaving now i think i'm done but, man that's um, just that's just cool <laughs>
1: <laughs> hey, if it's up to me, be here, here every week. Um, uh, but uh, it, all that being said, and I don't even know, and I'm only asking this because this is like a forum where I'm semi-allowed to ask this question, though I don't know if you're able to answer it. Looking back at maybe since the turn of millennium on your work on things, because we've talked about Civil War with you, we've talked about secret invasion with you, some of these big milestone moments, do you have a story a series, an event that you would say is the best, um, that you've worked on, not necessarily your favorite or the smoothest making of, but in terms of the final product, um, does something, you know, looking back strike you as, as maybe the finest of them all?
3: Well, you know, I can't, you know, you can't divorce, you know, best from, from favorite. Yeah. Because so much of this has to do with, with taste and, and, uh, uh, you know, with with your individual you know, perspective or, or, or point of view as a uh, as a creator, you know, I've said for, for years uh, now that, you know, the, the my favorite or the best run that I that I worked on was the Mark Wade Mike Waringo Fantastic Four. Uh, and in recent years, I've amended that to go, oh, and the Dan Slott, Mike Allred, Silver Surfer is equally good. Um, But that's that speaks entirely as much as anything to my taste and what I like versus, you know, what is the best? Um, You know, what is what is the most impactful? Civil War. Uh, Nothing's nothing's bigger than Civil War. Um, Civil War had had a movie. Um, Most of most of the others haven't had a movie. Maybe if we're if we go long enough, you know, they're starting to do scroll stuff with uh, with Captain Marvel. Maybe we'll get a secret invasion movie and that one can be up there too. Um, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. Certainly a bunch of other stuff that I've worked on is, you know, shown up at other places and and so forth. Um, You know, qualitatively going the best? I don't know. It's not even really for for me to say when you come down to a question like that. It's really really for the audience to decide. I can tell you what I liked the most, um, you know, and I can tell you in most cases, and I do when we have these shows, where there are there are, are books or stories that once we were done, I could look in the in the eye, and when you know there were things that I didn't think went as well as as they could have, or even if other people really really liked them, you know, ask me someday about JLA Avengers. We'll have a whole podcast about that.
0: <laughs> oh my god, um,
3: can we? Because
0: I would one thousand percent love that. Yeah, you
3: know, I I can only give you my perspective on it. And that's not necessarily, uh, you know, uh, an accounting of what is the what is the best.
0: Huh. Well, Tucker did a real great job here. I think (laughs) that actually means we do have to let Tom go because he has to make the best comics. As you would uh, set them <laughs> up for. We're,
3: we're going to need to do podcasts in 12 years. So <laughs> I got a lot of work to do. Yeah,
0: Tom, as always, thank you so much. We really appreciate all your time and, and giving us lots of cool tidbits about these
2: stories. Certainly. I'm glad I still remember them. I I knew I would have fun talking to you guys today, but I did not expect to have so so much validated about my feelings on some of my favorite <laughs> comics of all time.
0: And hamburgers. Yeah, talking to me about that, guys. <laughs> uh, all right, Tom, we're going to let you go. Teeny, stick around, because uh, we, we actually have to talk about your pick a little bit more. All right, so let's get back into the Dark Reign of it all, because we've got to start with the Secret Invasion Dark Reign one-shot. Um, we, we talked a bit about Dark Avengers so far, but the one-shot is so important to the, the table setting of everything, and it is the bridge. It's the like actual bridge.
2: Literally the 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 uh, the table setting, right? Because we're talking about the issue where it's Norman calling Loki and Namor and Doom and Emma and the Hood. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I I frustrated because Tom's not here.
0: I wanted to say to him, I love Alex Malev, but I as a super Namor like lover, I don't love his take on Namor. <laughs> oh my! I
2: goodness. love it. I was like thinking the same thing, but I was like, I don't, uh, I don't want to bring up something like critical about an artist who I think is so fantastic and talented, and so many people in that issue look amazing. But um, I have a big, what's the word? Crush on Namor. Oh my god, he's everything. Namor, um, like, is a fantastic study. Like, it's fantastically drawn, but he's just not as dreamy he's 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 a real creep he looks and he like feels like a creep
0: and i think and i don't think it's us being critical of alex i think it's it is a stylistic choice to say to like couch this character in this way and like i understand that but like that
2: hashtag not my namor (laughs) <laughs> right, right like it's such a good choice because he absolutely like like there's that great great scene between him and doom after everyone else leaves right and he's like well like what's the deal and he's like you know the deal like i get the land you get the sea and it's like Ooh. oh
0: i love it it's so good that that issue is delicious it is just wonderful stuff
2: so good. um and like that moment is great and like that that take on namor is like perfect for that you know but um but he's you know it's not it's not the same vision of namor like you know for example like abx olivia koopel namor with like the little short pant the little low-cut <laughs> red scaly pants on like uh-huh, the phoenix uh-huh. namor it's not the same namor um I and i i like a namor that i crush on not when I have to like think about the evil things he does and like which the Maliv Namor absolutely you're, you're forced to face that he is uh, a guy who absolutely puts his people before anything else what you got there yeah <laughs> she sits on Emma and she has no time for it <laughs> which
0: I get I'm all about that Tucker what were you gonna say I Completely disagree <laughs> with you
1: both. I love this name I'm glad it's a good discussion. <laughs> um, uh, look, I'm as down with hunky, tiny shorts name more as anybody else. But it it just tickles me so much to see this. Tina, you said you're from Virginia. Mm-hmm. Ryan is from Long Island. I'm from New Jersey. This is the kind of guy. This is the this is a dude from like Ryan and my neck of the woods (laughs) that I grew up with, this kind of dirtbag dude. I don't know. There's just something about turning everything on its head in that way that just I adore. I adore. And it is it is to this day a shocking vision of of this character that I think we all have such a specific image of. Um, And on that merits alone, uh, uh, I think... I think it's really, really, really awesome. I knew you were going to go down that road.
2: <laughs> Part of the feel of the issue is all these people showing up and they're all like it's people like Doom who like never sits at a table with other people and listens to, you know, like that's, it's people who don't do that and like that's kind of the whole conceit of the issue, right? Is Norman being like you guys haven't been treated fairly. You should get to be the gods you are, but you you're going to need my help. And it's like Well, Norman, if they were really as powerful as you're saying, like they wouldn't need you. But they do because Norman knows that he's a salesman. He's talking them up. He's a businessman and it works like Uh, it works on them. It's
0: a great lead in to what Dark Reign is, because it's like it is pulling the shroud over and saying that's a new day has dawned. And look at who's at the seat of power. And it is it is terrifying. I, I love I forgot about the moment. Because teeny, as fans, I, we weren't sure, but Norman opens the door and he's like, and if you mess with me, I've got this guy. And there's, we didn't know who that was at first. And I thought that was such a cool thing. And I was like, when I was reading it, I was like, wait, it's The Void, right? No, it's not. What is it? And it, it, it is The Void, but that took a while to play out. And a really well done of setting the stage for our heroes are screwed.
2: Yeah, well, and like like you said earlier, it's it's a great. He shows up and he's like, "I'm gonna make an awesome heel stable," <laughs> yep, <laughs> and it's gonna be you guys, um, and I'm gonna let you run wild because I'm gonna build the good guys that are gonna come fight you, and they're gonna be the Thunderbolts, so you guys don't have to worry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's wild! You've just seen this guy shoot the the queen of the bad guys in the head with a shotgun, so like you really believe that he could do anything um and so him walking into that room and like sitting a bunch of powerful brilliant people down and which is also great too because like Emma Frost has that great moment where she's like why am I here and Norman's like search yourself (laughs) (laughs) come on girl and she's like I'm a hero he's like (laughs) uh I, I think emma is a hero but yes me uh, too it's great because he basically like the issue is him walking into the room and being like welcome i'm gonna sell you on my pyramid scheme my timeshare and then by the end they're like it's a pretty good deal <laughs>
0: like, <laughs> we're gonna jump into to dark avengers but the the ending of this is so good too because you have norman having his like goblin freak out moment that we see is persisting in dark avengers uh, it's just the moment where he's talking to swordsman who's like swordsman like i wasn't part of the group i blah 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 i'm gonna go to the press he's like cool 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 hold on a second let me see this takes a sword stabs him throws him out the window and then he just it's, it's, i'm
2: in charge me me it's so great too because the moment that causes him to do it is such a great like scary villain moment because he like I, I, ju- I just reread it and I love it so much because Swordsman is like, and I should have been in and I should have been in and I should have been in and Norman's just like, you're not letting me get a word in edgewise. I don't like being interrupted. Gack. <laughs> I talk. Like, he just like sticks him because ultimately he's like, and and I love it too because it's a great Norman moment, right? But what is what is Norman doing? But talking his way through everything. Someone that won't listen to him is not useful to him. So like if the alternate take on the scene is Swordsman comes up and Norman says, well, wait, let me talk and talks him into a bad deal. And Swordsman takes it and says, fine. Okay. And leaves. Um, We don't get that scene. We get the better scene. Mm
0: -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm.
2: swordsman won't shut up and that norman is like i don't think you understand the only way this works is if i get to fast talk and you don't let me talk you dead like that's how this
0: (laughs) and then that leads us into all the dark rain stuff i want to give a special shout out to dean white who did the color on the one shot uh for dark rain we talked about alex malev and brian bendis and the rest of the team but man tucker had you read all this stuff had you read dark avengers What, what was your take on all this
1: yeah i got a little bit into dark avengers but this is like definitely my first really deep dive into it i think it's beyond that it's really cool again just to look at it through the norman osborne angle of the that i kind of mentioned in the last episode that we did and beyond the character work that it's doing it's about how cool it is and i think this the moment um that freak out that that we just talked about is a crucial part of it obviously and then it's it's kind of beat by beat, kind of keeps becoming revelation after revelation or reminder after reminder of who he really is, despite all the attempts to convince you or to convince himself or everyone around him otherwise. Because, and and I loved what Tom said about how impactful Civil War was, because in a way, the way I read it is, At the end of Civil War Seven, when Cap says everybody stand down, it's over. Um, and Cap loses, um, this is kind of the this is the the kind of shoe dropping on that. This is the opposite reaction to that. Because um, you know, this is a cumulative history that ends with Norman Osborne in this place of power and influence and every time we're reminded of his darkness every time we're reminded that um, you know how unstable and how scary things actually are with him at the helm it is a validation in a way of Cap's fight what was probably two years before this in terms of uh, when these comics were released and so just from that angle you know i i find it utterly fascinating and then you know obviously when you get into the minutia the panel by panel page by page stuff going on in here it's incredible
2: yeah that's a really good point tucker about how it's like it's it goes all the way back to that um i totally agree because there's there's a really tragic story that goes all the way back to that moment in civil war seven about you know conceding a little and trusting in people to make it work out, and and the spiral of, of where that concession leads you. Mm-hmm. And I think the brilliant thing about it is that um, my favorite thing about the the fallout of, of all this, like you said, this fallout of Civil War, and then Secret Invasion, and then Dark Avengers, and the, it's this whole you know arc of of watching not just Cap concede and then and then die, and then the world suffer for his absence. Um, and then also Tony suffer for his absence arguably harder than anyone. Um, I'll defend that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and not just that, but Tony is also forced to deal with, like, like both, everyone is forced to deal with the fact that conceding a little bit uh, with the registration stuff arguably led us to where we are now in this dark, unbelievable timeline that seems impossible, where we have no Captain America, no Iron Man, uh Carol wasn't Captain Marvel yet. Um you know, we didn't have the uh the, like rough and ready Avengers team. Um we have now that was just gone. Um and one of my favorite things about superhero comics in general is the idea of like legacy and symbol. I mean, Ryan and I keep talking about wrestling, but I think wrestling uh, and and superhero comics and drag actually all have like this really interesting thing where the person you are is both your identity and also not you, right? Like sometimes wrestlers use their real names and it's their face and stuff, but even it's still like they themselves are a different person than that character they play. Um, And when you're a superhero, theoretically, right? It's like the same thing. You have the symbol, you have uh, people, you mean something to people that isn't necessarily who you always want to be. Um, and you often have to choose between being that person for other people or being you for yourself. That's like Superhero Comics 101 and has been for almost 100 years. But uh, I think that part of why Dark Avengers rules so hard is it's a, a, a chance to see the, the, the bad version of that. You know, so often we see, um, you know, occasionally you see a character dies and there's the evil version of them. And usually the evil version of them is like a rogue thing that gets stopped. But this is like it becomes the status quo where, uh, and they're, they're not just like mustache twirling villains, they're like thunderbolts, so they're kind of like disasters. Um, one of my favorite moments in Dark Avengers I think it's like six or seven, is Moonstone, who I love, uh, becomes uh, Ms. Marvel. And she's awful, she's like everything Carol isn't, she's great because she looks kind of like Carol and that she's blonde and pretty. Um, but she's uh, crazy and selfish, and uh, she likes to date all of her teammates, and and which causes a bunch of stress. And she's like horrible. Uh, I like that you say date. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know what the rating is on this podcast, so they're doing it. They're doing
0: it a lot. It's great. <laughs> yeah,
2: she dates a lot of her teammates. Uh, yeah, it's this great moment where she uh she she dates Novar.
0: <laughs>
2: like in a really bad place and she spends the evening with him probably just watching netflix or something and uh the next day i don't remember who it is it's like i think it would be norman is like where's your space alien and she's like he's not my space alien i just sleep with him oh the other i wanted to bring up there's uh a, 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 i was like there are a couple characters that i really love that i feel like show up in also secret invasion i but uh and Dark Reign and Dark Avengers that I like I miss and I love um this is going back more to Secret Invasion we see Phobos who's such a great character Yeah. and I was like I saw him when I was reading, and I was like I forgot about Phobos I love that kid uh Secret Invasion is obviously full of the great Abigail Brand and uh leads into her she's one of my favorite characters and then in Dark Avengers we get the evil Pepper Potts Victoria Hand who I love yeah so much i wanted i think i had my hair like her at one point like um because i was just like she looks so cool i want to i want to have hair like hers uh it's not the only time i've brought a comic to a hairdresser and said do this um but i think victoria hand was probably one of them but yeah i love victoria and uh she was such a great character uh and she's great because she shows up and and she's she's a great audience insert um, because she's often alone with Norman, and he's doing his plotting and planning, and she's she's not afraid to be like, uh, you know, I'm not here because I'm dumb, Norman. <laughs> like
0: <laughs> she's also the only stable person in the entire book.
2: Yeah like her as like the like the Jarvis to this house of just disaster
0: Uh, I love the first issue in particular because it is the like building of the team like we've seen them already and so we backtrack a little bit and you get all these great moments I'm looking at the page right now in the like this crappy pizza restaurant I won't even call it a pizzeria it's a pizza restaurant uh, where you've got Aries and Victoria and Norman and they're sitting there and I'm looking at a panel where they just found out that Dokken is Wolverine's son and the reactions on their faces are so good. But also Norman is eating pizza with a fork and a knife. He is clearly (laughs) the worst villain, a madman. (laughs) Uh, You know, Tom was talking about Diodato a bunch. um, And I think it really is some of Mike's work that really stands out. Everyone he draws is just wildly sexy and over the top like men women robots monsters oh
2: it's 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 perfect for Avengers because they feel because they're deodato art they feel like sexy grown-up Avengers yeah
0: it is everybody's like exploding out of their costumes in all the best ways it is so wild and fun
2: right like it looks it looks like the like sexy grown-up version of the Avengers you wouldn't have been allowed to watch like which is like perfect (laughs) kind of are and maybe that's why I love them yeah, um, it, there's the awesome reveal at the end of the first issue where you find out that Iron Patriot is, is Norman, yeah. um, which is great because it's a, a mirror of that. You know, the I am Iron Man, you know, moment that was culturally uh, yeah. then kind of big. Yeah. So it's it's great because it also harkens back to, you know, classic Iron Man where it's like, Iron Man's my bodyguard.
0: <laughs> <laughs> there's also something really interesting rereading about rereading this is how many um wide like two page spreads not like single image spreads but like full storytelling spreads that they did here like really utilizing the pages and it, it seemed like a very conscious effort of them working together to tell the story in a, in a different way than maybe he was doing with lineal or he was doing with other artists and i it really works very very well very effectively like the reveal of hammer you know done it, it feels widescreen and cinematic in that ultimates kind of way
2: Yes, yes, it does. It feels it feels a lot like Ultimates, which is a book I also love for being sexy grown up Avengers. So. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: so the the first villain that they face is Morgana Le Fay, which terrific.
2: Also, so like I was good. saying, these books are just like a who's who of like teeny characters, like Moonstone and <laughs> <in> Strikeforce. Morgana Le <laughs> Fay is a, a big villain in Excalibur. You know, I, I um, it's it's so funny for me to look through back to these books and be like, oh yeah. Oh yeah! Oh my God! If I was a Teeny Howard fan reading these, I would be like, "What a hack!" She just uses all of her fingers. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh man, the, the there's this paddle where Sentry pulls off her head, and lightning explodes, and it's so evocative and wild. Even though I know what happened, what's going to happen next, it's still. Gosh, this is fun! Comics. This is like reminding me. And, and when Todd said this was the best-selling book for its run, like I get it. I get it immediately.
2: Oh man! Well, and there's there's so much like cleverness and playing with it. You know, like there had been for that for a long time. There had been so much stuff about. You know, there had been these multiple Bendis events about just you know putting the Avengers through the ringer and making them hurt and making them feel stuff and making them not be the characters that we knew and loved. These bright heroes—they're dying and they're screwing up. And oh my God! And, you know, Norman Osborn comes in and says both to the Marvel, in-character Marvel world and to us as fans, don't worry, fam, I got you. (laughs) What we want are nice, bright Avengers in big costumes. They stand on a stage, confetti pours on them in the middle of New York and everyone claps in Times Square. That's what you want again? I got it. It's not the same people in the costume. Don't worry about that part. They're fine. But the costumes are great, right? Like that's Mm -hmm. and like it's it's such a great meta move of like you know both winking at fans who wanted that, winking at fans who were saying these guys aren't heroes. They're all fighting each other. They're all dying. They're all crying on each other. What the heck? They can't even eat cereal without crying. <laughs> like why where are my big bright heroes you know and then, then it, it, it Ben just answers it in the story way by saying oh they're, they're right here norman's got them for you it's it's so good <laughs> yeah.
0: um we get uh we get a little quick invasion by the atlanteans which plays back into the one shot and the namor of it all and just like it, it's really fun to look at this from 12 years later from looking at the landscape of the marvel universe for seeing the arcs of all these characters uh and thinking even like you know what tucker was talking about with norman and where he's even been in the last like year and a half but i think for me this is the this elevates in the rereading of it elevates my opinion of norman um higher up in my list of like most impactful important and best marvel villains thank you I'm glad to hear that. He's my favorite bad guy. Ooh, Tucker, where do you put him? No.
1: Yeah, no. I I think I, I my instincts always go towards those characters that occupy gray areas and blur the lines between you know easy definitions. And I think this is the epitome of exactly that. This is um, multiple series, multiple books, um, kind of centered on that concept. And while we, exactly like you said, Teeny, while we usually come at that from the angle of, you know, Magneto or Frank Castle or, um, you know, the kind of traditional number of um, characters that could be described as anti-heroes, but this is kind of um, more of an anti-villain in that way, um, where uh, it is kind of flipping everything on its head and you, you I think it, it really... Um, destabilizes your traditional reading of these moments and of a comic because of how non-traditional that is. Um, so, yeah I, I, yeah, I completely agree. I, I, I love where this places this character. And I think, um, like I mentioned before, it, it, it speaks to the strength of, of the character at large in, in you know his decades-long presence um, because it takes it takes a really strong character to be able to withstand all of that, all of that.
2: Brian Mendes is so good at playing with the knowledge and awareness that, that fans have of these characters um, to create new moments. So like, it's kind of great to see in this arc Norman Osborn take the iconic Green Goblin that we as fans all know is like iconic OG Spider-Man. Um, and, you know, we see Norman say, that's just a thing I did one time, that's not me anymore. It feels like an intelligent reversal of the times as comic fans we read a character um, take over a mantle for a while. And sometimes when we read those as fans while they're coming out. A lot of the advertising and the marketing, the feel around it is this is forever. This is never going to change. This character is going to be this forever. Um, but then that doesn't always happen, right? So like those characters shift back because different writers, because the story has different needs, And so there's a time that exists where, you know, you have a character who was saying, um, you know, I'm, I'm binary now. I'm always going to be binary. And then later says, okay, don't call me binary anymore. I have a different name now. Um, that, for example, or whatever, the, maybe a bad example, but the point being that it's it's interesting to see Norman ask, of the marvel universe a thing that is sometimes asked of us as fans which is to say that was just i was the green goblin once but that's just a thing i did like i'm not him anymore we know that that's not the case but um he's a of a like oh come on how many of you guys have worn a costume for a little while and then hung it up and you all guys go get jobs at shield like whatever like um it, it, it's it's a. It's just another great example of him of him playing with those the, the meta of how comics are made and put out and, and engaged with, um, using that within the narrative is just. It's why he's one of my favorite writers.
0: Yeah, that whole interview scene is man. I I got sucked in. I was like, oh,
2: maybe Norman's not so
0: bad. I like I I was like, stop it. I, I I'm I know what's going on. It was so good teeny before we wrap up because we've been going for a heck of a long time any other um, thoughts or or memories or things you want to point out about dark rain since um, this was your your, your idea
2: uh, I guess just that if there if you have if you like Dark Avengers and secret evasion and all that and you haven't gone and read uh fraction and La invincible Iron Man stark disassembled and world's most wanted those are two of my favorite arcs I think they're arcs like two, I think they're maybe volumes like two and three of the the trades um but like those are some of my favorite comics of all time uh there's a dark rain young avengers runaways uh story that's pretty wild um there's there's just a lot of really good tie-ins and stuff throughout time so i just want to throw those out i think those are all in marvel unlimited uh if they're not there's so many shops right now that are struggling and would love nothing more than for you to give them a call and say can you help me find some awesome back issues or some awesome trades and then you'll have some reading while you're stuck at home staying healthy uh so yeah check those out
0: yeah doc and dark wolverine i remember really digging there's like a a, a the sinister spider-man little thing because i love the way mac gargan is as venom
2: dark Reign fantastic four is yeah. incredible
0: oh, is that jonathan
2: yeah it was
0: <laughs> yep yep there's uh there's there's tons of stuff uh out there there's probably a full reading list of uh dark rain on marvel unlimited and if not we're going to put together a reading list for y'all um for this episode to go along with it so uh plenty to read just as teeny mentioned hopefully you can help out a comic shop or um, marvel unlimited tucker what you got how you want to wrap this up buddy
1: oh man um just by saying teeny teeny howard is the the damn best oh dang marcus
2: Uh,
1: thank you so much for being here dude (laughs)
2: thanks guys for having me uh stay safe stay healthy and uh let's read some comics soon
0: amen to that thanks teeny uh as we do every week we added new books to marvel unlimited some of the highlights include the first issue of excalibur that's from the dawn of x and it's really freaking good and of course our friend teeny howard wrote that one uh we've got a great issue of friendly neighborhood spider-man issue number 13 we've got uh a bunch of like Endings for series, Death's Head issue number four, Journey to Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker, Allegiance number four, and plenty more. Oh, Silver Surfer Black. I mean, come on! Now you can read all of Silver Surfer Black in Marvel Unlimited. If you need any reason to get MU, that's it, right there. Yeah, dude. Thank you once again to Teeny and to Tom Brevoort for um, spending a whole bunch of time with us over these last two episodes to talk about Secret Invasion and Dark Reign. I had a blast, Tucker. I know you did as well. Um, Oh yeah. And these have been. Big ol' mammoth-sized episodes, so it's, uh, it's been a <laughs> lot of fun. This episode of Marvel's Pull List was produced by Ryan Panagos, Tucker Marquez, Jorge Estrada, and Mr. Daniel. Jill Zaboff is our director of audio, and Brad Barton is actually the guy who was behind the door in <laughs> Secret Invasion, Dark Reign. Don't believe it was The Void, it was actually Brad Barton. Yeah, it was. I'm Ryan. I'm Tucker. And this is Marvel.
1: Your universe.